0: And now. And now introducing the one, the only. Let me introduce to you Lively Talk with Successful People, barely filtered. This is the Jenna Ben Show.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Jenna Ben Show. I'm Jenna Benemy, your host, and with us today I have Kit Dale. How do you want to introduce yourself, Kit?
0: I think Kit Dale is fine. <laughs> Just <laughs> a humble legend. That's it.
1: Kit, Dale. Okay, so a little bit of a plot twist today, guys, because you know I have a lot of fighters on the show. But today, um, Kit is actually a two-time world Pro Jiu-Jitsu grappling champion, actor, creator of the Art of Mastering jiu and uh, which is an online course for learning Jiu Jitsu, which we'll get into in just a bit, but it's a little bit of a twist because you've never fought before.
0: No, no, just I've done grappling competitions, but I've never fought MMA. I was always originally going to. Yeah. uh, But I decided, I think like I was always planning on getting a like winning black belt world champion Jiu Jitsu and then going into MMA. Yeah. And then as I was in, in my journey, I kind of decided that I've built up enough injuries going through jujitsu and that I probably want to do something that I can maintain for the rest of my life, which yeah. turned me more into acting rather than into uh, MMA. MMA.
1: Right. Okay. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself, age, origin, like what's special about you?
0: Well, I mean, that's a I – mean, <laughs> I don't know if we can fit it all in in one hour. But uh, my name's Kit Dale. I'm 34 years old. I'm living in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Australia. I think I was 22 years old when I first started Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Now, I was doing MMA training. I just didn't fight. And then I competed in jiu-jitsu, which I never really thought I was going to. I just went to watch a competition. And at the time there was me and another white belt and we were very even and I just started getting the better of him. And then I went to watch a competition and he was in it and I thought this guy's going to get killed and he won the competition. So Mm -hmm. in my head I was like, well, if he won it, then technically I won the competition. So I started competing and uh, I really enjoyed it. And Mm. I I, I competed for the next four years and I I went from white to black belt really quickly and then uh, after getting my black belt, kind of got a little bit bored of it and I started looking into doing other things and I started getting more into Especially acting and film and mm. writing and stuff like that.
1: So growing up, you did karate, inline hockey, Australian football, which is like apparently very violent. And so, what made you want to get into jujitsu though?
0: Well, the Australian rules football was what I was playing, and I, I was doing very well with that. But I was very, I was very uh, immature physically, and I was very timid. So the bigger, more physically intimidating players in the game started to you know, hit me behind the play and really started physically intimidating me and I didn't mm-hmm. like the feeling of uh, you know, insecurity in a sense. So I was like, I want to learn how to protect myself. Yeah. So I, I found a, a school, it was under Robert Pamakowski It was actually JKD and then he introduced me into jiu-jitsu. And I remember thinking, like it was my first time I've ever learning jujitsu. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I play Aussie rules football. I'm fit. I'm yeah. strong. There's this little guy. that Looks like a little Johnny pencil pusher. And I'm gonna bash this guy, and he just destroyed me. Oh. So, I was like,
1: <laughs> so you were impressed by that, and you're yeah. like, well, I want to do that.
0: Yeah, because he wasn't strong, and he just he just played me played with me like a puppet. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I wanna I wanna learn a little bit more of this because I think it was very it was very. I found it more enjoyable than any other martial art because it was the one that you could compete daily at 100% mm. compared to, I mean, you can't learn boxing or kickboxing. You can't go to training every session and, and compete with your training partners 100% because people will get hurt, where mm. in jiu-jitsu you can do that because it's quite controlled.
1: Right, because grappling versus, like, fighting.
0: Yes, yeah, so I, 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 that's how I ended up getting into martial arts and then I, I fell into the competition side of it, like I said before. And, uh, and I just sort of kept doing it and I started you know, doing better and better and I kept challenging myself to go to high levels and uh, I went through the, the grading system uh, quite quick, which was great, but it was also probably a reason why I kind of got bored after a little bit.
1: Mm, but I kind of do it that with easy most things as well. You hold a record for learning faster than…
0: Technically everyone. So So you
1: you are like the fastest learner of Jiu Jitsu and and break that down for us. What does that really mean?
0: Well, it just means that I, from the point of starting Jiu Jitsu with no prior grappling experience, I went from white to world-class black belt faster than anyone else. There are people that have gone through the system very quickly, but there's always loopholes like uh, BJ Penn did it, but he was training seven years no gi before he decided to get graded. So Mm. then after seven years, he goes from white to black in three years, but it's really 10 years. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that do the same thing. Like um, Travis Stevens uh, went through the belt system very quickly, but he was already a judo, like an Olympic level judoka. Mm. Uh, DJ Jackson did the same thing, but he was already a Division One wrestler. So there's a lot of people that come from Free grappling backgrounds. Yeah. Yes, where it's very similar to where you have a big advantage. But I was the only one that went from having no prior grappling experience to through that in four years.
1: Yeah, okay. I wanna to talk to you about your philosophy on studying because I think that's played a role in, in all aspects of your career so far and what has really enabled you to propel forward very quickly.
0: Yeah, so I, I have a little bit of, I, I don't I'm not, I don't technically have ADD, but I feel like I do where I get kind of bored I very quickly. I think you might. Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, I mean, when I was in primary school, if someone or high school, if I was in class and someone walked past the class, I'd be like, who's that? What's going on there? Yeah. I was always easily distracted. So I, very, I struggled a lot through high school. Most of my end-of-year reports were like Kit Dale had all the ability but lacked any kind of application of, of himself. So I, I failed pretty much mostly everything mm. unless I needed to pass it then I, I could put the effort in. But I felt it very boring but I did excel in the things that I was interested in but I was doing it differently to the what like most people trained. Right. To give an example of this, if you look at, martial arts, especially Brazilian jiu-jitsu, most coaches are using the industrial age model, okay, uh, the industrial education system basically to create factory workers in the 60s. So what they do is they teach you exactly how to do something and then you're told to repeat that and if you do that you're correct and you're a good student. Mm. And the same thing happens in martial arts you go to your first class they teach you exactly how to do a rear naked choke. Yeah. And then you've got to repeat it and if you repeat it exactly the way they showed it then you're doing it right and then you've got to go into the you know into the free rolling and then try and do it on someone else. Mm. And it's the worst way to learn something. But I can understand why people do that because they think that rote learning, like repetition is the, the master of all skill, but it is not. It is a, a good way and I think it's great if you're working on an assembly line where everything is exactly the same. But when you're looking at martial arts, every single person you're sparring with is different, thinks different, looks different, feels different mm-hmm. and they're going to do different things. So you have to become a better problem solver rather than just a uh, you know a repetition guy. So. I found it very boring when I first started jiu-jitsu to do that, so much so that I stopped turning up for the technique portion of class and I would just get into the rolling. Mm. And it was frowned upon by everyone else because they thought, okay, you're an idiot because you should be doing it the way everyone's doing it because we're drilling it, we're going to get better at it. But I was excelling much faster than them. And what I figured out after this is I, I try to break down and learn the science behind learning and why I was able to excel so much faster than everyone else while training far less while still working a full-time job. And then we figured out a few really interesting things and we figured out that problem-solving your way through learning is much more powerful than just being told exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example of what I mean by problem-solving, and the, the military used this, they call it the OODA loop, but I'm going to give you my sort of definition of it. Basically, whenever we're we're in front of a problem, and this could be in martial arts where let's say I'm in someone's guard in their legs and I need to pass their guard to mount or something like that, the problem is those legs or, or the arms, everything, There's a, and the first thing I do is I examine the whole problem. Where am I? What have I got to do? What's in front of me? Then yeah. I come up with a solution. Then I execute that solution and then I evaluate its success. Did it work? Did it not work? Why did it work? Okay, and then I go back to the start. I just took – that new information that I just learned, I go back to the start. Now I examine the same or a new situation with information that I just learned. I come up with a new solution, I execute, and then I evaluate that. And mm-hmm. I get that new information that I come back. And basically it's it's like an information gathering cycle that the more you do that, the more information you gather. So if I was to get you to learn something, I could tell you, okay, here's a re-naked choke and I could get you to drill it 500 times or I could get you to start in a rear naked choke with that position. And I'll tell you, you know, to start from there, you just got to keep trying to get that rear naked choke and Mm. you'll start learning things and realizing things that don't work and why you should do this. And then I can give you tips along the way.
1: So basically learn through trial and error.
0: Yeah, which is much more powerful. It's the way we learn everything. It's the way we're biologically uh, designed to learn everything. Yet when it comes to, you know, sport and education, we seem to overcomplicate things and really like section things out and Mm. make sport look much more difficult than what it really is. Mm. So if you ask a traditional jiu-jitsu master what jiu-jitsu is, and they'll probably categorize it into 500 to 1,000 different techniques. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really think of it in techniques. I think of it as just one movement. It's just one problem that is com- continuously changing and that I'm continuously trying to solve.
1: So did you incorporate this philosophy into the art of mastering jiu-jitsu? yes. yes. Okay. And I, uh, how long did it take you to develop that guide?
0: Oh, I mean, I, I, I was trying to figure all this stuff out since I was 23 years old and I'm 34 years old, so there's like 11 years worth of information in there. Um, that was the kind of stuff that I figured out. And then there was a lot of really cool stuff that I started learning when I was studying case studies on, on learning and stuff like that. To give you an example of this, uh, the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that is in charge of your fight or flight Uh, Systems, you know, it decides when you're when a threat comes, it decides whether you decide to run or you fight it. And and it can be a horrible feeling, but can be life saving because it it makes your body release adrenaline, it speeds your heart rate up, it pumps more oxygen and blood to your muscles, it dilates your pupils to let more light in, it makes you feel sick in case you need to throw up and run really far or or, Mm. push it it out the other way. It can feel very (laughs) uncomfortable in a, a normal situation, and a lot of people have this with anxiety because they feel those. All those uh, uh, things during a safe situation, so it feels very horrible. But in a life or death situation, it can save you because it's basically getting you to use as much energy as you can to survive in that in that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at uh, the memory, now you've got like two parts where you hold the memory. It's the amygdala, no, sorry, the uh, cerebellum and the hippocampus, and one is declarative memory, and, and the other is is more muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Now. The no, sorry, the uh, amygdala has a huge role in how, d- how deep we store information. So to give you an example of this, if something happens to you and it has very little emotional, uh, you know, it, it, it emotionally arouses you very little, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to remember it. You might remember it for a couple minutes. For example, if I give you a passcode to to open someone's phone or to open a door, right. you're going to remember for like seven seconds, and then your brain just lets it go because yeah. it doesn't need to remember that. But in a life or death situation, your, ba- your brain records so much information in that because it want to sh- it wants to make sure that if you're in that situation again, it gets you ready to survive. So the cool thing about that is when you structure your training to be more emotionally arousing or to have higher stakes, you remember things much deeper. Instead of, you know, one, two, three days, you're talking 15, 30 years.
1: Right. So would you say, is it really possible to learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu from a video?
0: Yes, but it's impossible to practice it because you need a partner.
1: Well, so that's what I was gonna say. Is it actually geared more towards people who are already a part of a gym and have training and this is kind of like teaching them to perfect it?
0: Yes, but I mean, yes and no, because my products are a lot more theoretical than what most products are. Most products are just techniques. You go, you buy the product, you've got their 15 favorite techniques. Yeah, You're probably gonna forget most of them and there might be one or two that apply to you. What I try and teach is an understanding of why you're doing certain things so that you can take that why and change the how. So if you understand the underlying concepts of why you're doing something, then you can change how you're doing it. Not only that, I talk about a lot more about learning and how to structure your training to get the best possible memory retention and skill acquisition. So a lot of the feedback I get from my products, could you change the way I not only learn Jiu Jitsu, but learn, you know, and learn how to learn in itself which is mm. so important because most times we're learning how to do something instead of trying to learn how to learn and when we know how to learn then we can take that and we can learn everything and we can change the way we study change the way we absorb information so that you you learn faster which is everything much more but everything dating yeah uh, maybe yeah of course dating. <laughs> <laughs> that anything doesn't matter what it is like you you want to remember you know you want to Learn from your mistakes. Yeah, and that's what most most things are. Is you make mistakes and you learn. If you keep making the same mistakes and you can't remember the lesson behind that, then you're going to fall into the same traps. So if it was right. dating, then obviously you and I've I've been through that. Like I uh, I know that if I'm dating something someone and something goes wrong, I'm really trying to figure out okay why did, what went wrong why did it go wrong,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then trying to adjust for that to make sure that doesn't happen again.
1: Yeah. And Do then you then, ask them?
0: I mean, you can. The problem is, most people don't know why. I mean, I could. And be they
1: also don't want to deal with the confrontation of like yeah. being honest. Yeah. It's like, well, you've really bad breath, or. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's me. It's not you. You know, it, it happens a lot. So I don't think there's much value in asking them because most people are not consciously aware, mm-hmm. and they're not really sure why they're doing things. And this is this is true all over the board. People, people rarely understand why they're doing things. They know that they shouldn't or should, but they don't understand why. And I think if you can break down the why, it really teaches you to understand yourself. I think Socrates said that where he said the key to human excellence is questioning oneself and others. So if you keep asking the question why, you'll get down to a, a core truth eventually. But it's very hard to expect someone to be that conscious or that honest. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's much better to just break down yourself. And I think the answer, especially in dating, is much more clear than what people make it out. People overcomplicate it and they go too small into the details. Mm-hmm. Same thing in learning mm-hmm. martial arts. They focus so much on grabbing this grip right here and make sure you have it here every time. where It doesn't matter. If you know why you're kind of doing that, then I can change those grips. I can change what I'm doing. Right. And the same thing, you know, most of the time like she left you is because you made yourself unattractive to her. In some
1: capacity.
0: In some way, yeah. Yeah. Something that you're doing and it's probably a lot of things you're doing that make yourself unattractive. (laughs) So you've got to be honest with yourself and just say, okay, this is my fault. You know, some situations, especially with dating, it's out of your control. Let's say me and you are both single, I meet you and things are going great, but you're still hung up on a guy. Mm-hmm. And he comes back into the picture. It's very hard for me to compete with that because you've already got connections to that guy. He was already there before me.
1: Right. What I'm going to
0: need is time to develop a connection with you and to develop attachment the same thing.
1: carries a lot of weight.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, some things are out of your hands, but most of the time you can figure it out yourself and be honest and just go, okay, I was unattractive. I was doing things. I was like a beta male. Uh, you know, I got to change that. And yeah. I did that. I went, man. I was the wor- I was probably the worst. I only kissed one girl up into the age of 18 and it was by force, not by me forcing her on me. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 not that way. I got pushed, our heads got pushed together because uh, I was never going to do it. I was too scared. I was like petrified.
1: Wow. Were you into her though?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really liked her. I liked her for like years. There was girls that I liked for years and I just too scared to even talk to them.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you developed interest in girls that you never even had conversation with. That's- oh Yeah. Fascinating to me, because how do you know
0: whether you really like them? Oh, I'm a guy. We're mostly physical. <laughs> it's a, okay, it's a lot easier to know. We don't. We don't have to see that. We kind of realize afterwards. Oh, okay, she's not that cool. Oh, you know. But okay. back then, I didn't have much choice for starters. Uh, but I remember. I think the first time I ever got dumped it was such a weird situation. I was dating a girl. Uh, for a while and then i found out that she had a boyfriend so i was like the guy on the side oh
1: yeah you were the side piece i was a
0: side piece and i spent 2 years trying to get her back so wow. i spent 2 years studying trying to figure out what i did wrong why i'm why this cycle happened so i ended up took me 2 years to build myself up and then i finally got her back and
1: then you got, re- her, back. I got her back and, and then, then I, you didn't want her
0: and then i didn't want her i realized oh it was just my a, god goal. but i needed that to really become self aware and to be to improve myself uh, so it, it was great, but it was just. Uh, it
1: was a <laughs> I'm looking at our videographer like, can you believe this, Rob?
0: <laughs> no, I did. Yeah. So I I started really badly with that kind of stuff. So I had to I had to do a lot of work on myself. Reprogramming. I just, yeah. I had to stop drinking. Uh, I had to you know build myself up from the ground. And for me, I needed that more than anyone because I really started in a really bad place in, mm. in that sense, like petrified of girls not confident at all uh, I needed to I mean, I had I got anxiety as a teen like really badly so there was like that I had to deal with as well so I had a lot of things uh, going bald uh, you know by 20 years old 1920 yeah you know it was really hard you know you have so much you know so much attachment to your identity and how you look sure. that it, there was a lot of things that I had to break attachment with to to progress.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a lot, but you have a great shaped head.
0: So you're (laughs) rocking
1: it. And I got to say, guys, go to his Instagram profile. What is it? Kit Dale official? Official. Yeah. So you have this persona online and I find you to be a little bit different in person. Like you're just, a, not that you're not kind online, but there's something like you're, you have um, like a for lack of a better term, like a frat boy attitude online, like you and your boys talk a lot of smack to each other. You make a lot of jokes at each other's expenses. Yeah. Um, and so how would you say, like, how did you develop this persona? Because it's not 100% who you are.
0: Well, I mean, it is and it isn't. Uh, yeah. You're definitely a <laughs> jokester. I mean, yeah. I've
1: been on the other end of his jokes, guys. Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it'll continue to
0: happen. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I, <laughs> I, I think I the family I grew up with, so I had two little brothers, I had a lot of close family members that are all a couple years older than me mm-hmm. and uh, they were very funny. And w- in Australia we, we call it taking the piss out of each other where okay. we, we kind of bag each other and really try and break each other down. And uh, <laughs> sounds, I, so,
1: sounds wonderful. <laughs> oh, it was,
0: I mean it was horrible when I was a kid. I remember I went to high school, it was my first day of high school and my, my two cousins Michael Shaw and Johnny Pignataro were about two or three years older than me and they were really popular kids. And they found my wallet, and they realized I put because I didn't know what to do. Put the picture, like what kind of picture to put in my wallet. So I put a picture of myself in there, uh-huh. and they got it. And they're like, "Oh, look, Kit's got a photo." <laughs> and everyone's laughing. I went red. And I was like so embarrassed. But no matter where we were, my cousins and my family, we're always trying to rip into each other. No matter whatever we can see, and there's no, we don't hold back on much. That's and
1: hard for self esteem, though. Would you? I mean, did you? did Did any of that penetrate to your core?
0: Yeah, yeah, but it was good for my self esteem because it developed. It, I, I, started realizing that it doesn't really matter what people think about me. You know, it's just a, a wall that we sort of create, like some kind of thing, and we really, you know, it governs so much of how we feel about each other because of what people say and think. And when you have cousins and people that love you saying that kind of stuff, real bad stuff, like I would turn up to a, a family function. And they would see me going bald and they go ah thinners is here and then everyone would like look oh, at your shit. hair and you'd feel so embarrassed yeah but you develop thick skin and yeah. i i think this was a really good lesson and this is this is kind of why the way i am the way i am so you know no matter what if i see my cousins and i can see anything i'm going to rip into them my brother made me best man at his wedding uh-huh. and uh i had to do a speech i just did a complete roast on everyone there no you I did swear not. i got it just 10 minutes i've got it online and it's literally just me roasting them because I thought, well, this is my opportunity to do something. Payback, so like, baby. Yeah, no matter what I did, there was nothing <laughs> nice I said in that. Yeah, it was funny, but it was like, it was were all you, in good taste. Were but,
1: you reading the room to see people's reactions and their facial expressions? Like, yeah. were they, were they yeah. pleased? Were they laughing? Or were M- they just like, oh, oh my, God. They were laughing
0: a lot. It was good. It actually okay. it went really well. There was one guy at the start that got real mad because he was like, uh, and one of the jokes was on his expense. Yeah, He got mad at the start, but then about two minutes later, he started laughing and another joke. So I want him back, which is good, yeah. Uh, but no, it, it went really well, and I think because we're from Australia, we take that kind of stuff, you know, with as a grain of salt or with a grain of salt, whatever that word is. But that's why I got into, you know, just doing that kind of stuff online because I think it's funny. I like banter, right? And I don't like the current climate that people take, you know, what you say so seriously. Oh my
1: goodness, it yeah. is a very sensitive time, people.
0: It's a, it's a really bad cycle. There's a good saying: the stronger the person, the weaker the walls the stronger the walls, the weaker the person. So if you protect somebody Mm. like we are right now, like don't say this, don't say that because it it hurts people's feelings, in turn you're making them weaker, which makes them more vulnerable to lesser things. So then suddenly what they once found offensive is now horrible and what they didn't find offensive is now offensive. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And The good thing about having a family like I did was, and there's there a there's a balance to this as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like, and this is for any type of growth, whether it's strength growth, growth, whether it's intelligence, mm. whether it's self-esteem, there is a certain kind of uh, pressure that you need to go through. Not too little that you're unchanged and not too much that you're broken. For example, use weights. What are you doing when you're trying to grow muscle? You're trying to break the muscle fibres down enough so that it rebuilds stronger than what it is, not too much that it breaks and tears completely, yeah. not too little that you're unchallenged. If you want to become smarter, you need to challenge your psychology by doing the same thing. You need to test yourself, problem solve. Yeah. Not too great that you get you know fatigued and you can't finish the problem, not too little that you're unchallenged. The same thing if someone bags you and someone says something and I could say a million things that could hurt anyone, you want to have it not too bad that the person ends up committing suicide or becoming depressed or anything like that, but not too little that they're unmoved. It has to have a little bit of that.
1: So you believe that we should go through life constantly dealing with some sort of a challenge because it's only gonna make us stronger. But you believe there should never be downtime. There should always be some sort of growth happening.
0: I mean, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's very subjective to the individual and what kind of life they wanna live. For me, that's what makes me the happiest is when I'm solving problems and when I'm growing. So I I, if you my life's quite different to most people because I have a life where I don't need to work. I haven't had to work a a normal job for since 2010. So I have a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. But I also realise how little time I have on my hands as well. But everything I'm doing is I'm trying to challenge myself in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I, I do many things I do playing piano, I play guitar, I try and learn how to sing, I play online games. I uh, let's hear you sing. Oh my god, no way. <laughs> Put I said I'm on learning. the spot. Yeah, but uh, I'm not very good. Um, but I'm a lot better than when I first started. When I first yeah. started singing, my parents would bang the, the shower walls and like stop singing. Stop, son. you're killing us. Yeah, for real. No way. Yeah, they didn't let me sing. Uh, and for good reason because I was really bad. But you know, no I wonder you're
1: such a tough cookie. You've dealt with a lot. I'm trying to think of my upbringing and like. I didn't grow up in a household full of people trying to knock me down, (laughs) you
0: know? I think, look, I think the problem is, and the misconception is they mean well. Like my parents and that, we had very different views on things. And for a long time, me and my father would have arguments about me doing martial arts because I wasn't Mm. making much money. And he would get worried and frustrated. So, you know, we'd have arguments and he'd be like, get a real job. You're going to be a loser your whole life, all this kind of stuff. And what what he's really saying is like, I'm worried about you. I want you to be something stable. And it's a very different world to what he grew up in. You know, now you can make thousands of dollars a second doing something online. Well, now you're there.
1: making six figures on the art of mastering jujitsu. Yeah. Check it out online.
0: I'm trying to figure out how much is six figures again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> In the um, hundreds of thousands. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No,
0: it's, it's doing very, very well. And I'm, I'm very glad for that. And it's, but, but you know, challenging that and just saying, no, I'm going to stick to that, you know, helped me a lot when it comes to learning things. And even to these days, I say certain things, like I'm writing a script right now. It's my first script. Yeah. In my head, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to make it and I'm going to star in it. And it's going to be a big hit movie. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But in my head, that's the way I think I'm delirious. Yeah. I think. Well, that, you know.
1: I don't know. I think it's actually, listen, you've been through enough adversity in your life to where you've proven to yourself that when you set your mind to something, you're able to accomplish your goal and actually exceed expectations. You've yeah. done it a number of times with jujitsu. You've done, you've done it with your business. Um, so I think it's only fair to have that mentality. And I think that that's only going to help you along the way, because if you have that confidence in yourself, then when you're talking to investors and other actors and, you know, producers and whoever you want to join your team, they're going to feel that. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to want 100%. to be a part of your project.
0: No, I, I think you're spot on. I, I think that's a problem with most people. You know, a lot of people are at the stage of their life, especially now. The first thing is, one, they don't even know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They've, they've kind of jumped into a job since they were younger and that's how they make money and that's how they sustain the life they're in, but they're not very happy. So they, they want to do something that's a bit more fulfilling. Yeah. One, half the people don't know what they would want to do. Or two, half the people don't believe in themselves enough to to know that they can achieve that if they put the work in and they right. you know approach it intelligently. So I, I think, and it, you're spot on. In my head, it's like, yeah, I feel like I can do whatever I want to a certain extent if I'm willing to put the effort in. But there's not that many things that I'm willing to put the effort in to to excel at. Right. And there's certain things would help would help my life financially, but I'm not willing to put that work in and i I know you need to
1: have the interest
0: yeah then you
1: i'm i'm the same way you know like i remember as a kid i sucked at reading comprehension because i was so bored with what i was reading you know Mm -hmm. and so but then there were other tests um that i just like like off the charts and then they put me into these gifted classes and then I got bored with that and, and it was reflected in my test results. Really? Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, it's funny because I went all the way to the PhD level with education, but like, man, I am bored with textbook stuff. You know, yeah. Yeah. life experience is everything for me. I learned so much more um, with my interactions with people than, um, than reading anything. But I do think that supplementing your education with case studies like you're doing is super smart.
0: Yeah, and what, what you said, the, the biggest reason why you probably enjoy learning like the way you do, like through just doing things, mm-hmm. is because a huge part of understanding or learning information, new information, is having a, like being able to relate to that information. Yes. And a lot of time we start something new where we have no understanding of what we're doing. So every part of lingo, like every part of the speech makes no sense to you. So it's going to go through one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem with learning something straight away. And same thing if I started teaching you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu right now and you've never done it before and if I just start talking technically about it, it's going to go through one, one ear and out the other. Of course. What I do is I would create a training session that's going to reveal certain problems for you. I know that you're gonna have problems doing these things. I'll tell you, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you, I want you to get from A to B. And I know there's a problem in there that's gonna that's gonna occur. Uh-huh. But I don't tell you how to deal with that until that problem comes. Right. Then when you have that problem you come to me like, oh, this is, you know, this is what's happening, I go, okay, this is why. And then it sticks to you, like, oh, that makes so much sense. Hmm. So learning the way we're talking about right now is so much more valuable because you're actually creating a relationship with what you're learning. Yeah. And then when someone teaches you something or you learn from that, it makes sense.
1: Because it's relatable to you. Yes. Yes.
0: And the biggest problem with most coaches is they can't, they can't, how do I I say it? It's very hard for them to give their students any kind of context to what they're teaching. Yeah. And to be good at that, you need to have very good analogies and stuff like that that people can relate to.
1: Sure. Okay. I want to do a Titan CBD toast. Okay. Titan CBD designed by a scientist. So I love this guy, his name's Dave, the CEO. He owns a DEA approved lab in Wisconsin. And he's like, look, I've been dealing with this stuff for over 20 years, let me just come up with my own product. And he originally designed it for kids, so it's like super fun. So basically these are pop crystals that you put under your tongue, sublingual mechanism, helps it enter the body very quickly. So um, put these crystals under your tongue. Is that
0: that the only information you're gonna give me before I put something in my mouth? (laughs)
1: Um, This isn't going to
0: make me high or anything.
1: It's not going to make you high. There's no THC in it. It's just CBD. And what it does, you know, I know that you work out a lot and you train a lot. And I saw that you went hiking. So you're feeling some soreness. So I'm going to check back in with you at the end of the show and see if this has alleviated any of the soreness from your workout.
0: It's going to fix my butt pain. (laughs) I put it under the tongue?
1: Under the tongue. All right.
0: This is fun.
1: It's good. And so, you know, another thing you and I had talked about was anxiety. Yeah. And that's
0: what I'm getting right Titan now CB, this popping. well, <laughs> it's actually I'm supposed joking. to
1: alleviate the anxiety. I've taken it when I felt super stressed and it's definitely taken the edge off for me. So you and I have talked about anxiety and that how that's something that you struggled with before. And after you're done pop rock in, <laughs> I want to know, um, I want you to kind of share with the listeners because I think it's a really valuable lesson.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So I can go now. Yeah. Can you hear that if I'm talking? That's okay. <laughs> you hear the fireworks in my mouth? <laughs> I um, When I was about 16 years old, this popping's getting way worse. Is, can you hear this?
1: <laughs> it's. Did you ever try Pop Rocks as a yeah. kid? Mm. Did you like them? Yeah. Okay, so are you enjoying this?
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying it's hard to talk. <laughs> I can hear it. Okay, so when I was... um. When I was just a little baby boy, I was 16 years old, and uh, one night I was out drinking with my friend. And I went back to his house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could still hear the popping. <laughs> it was fun. And uh, in the middle of the night, I woke up in a huge panic, and the first thing I can remember is doing a cartwheel because I think when you when you have a giant panic attack, you don't know what's going on, and you just have all this energy, and you're just trying to Get it out. Huh. I did a cartwheel. I remember yet like saying, I feel like I've had 30 beers because I felt like like really drunk and sick, like mm. nauseous. And I tried to climb the rafter of his uh, of his house and I was going crazy and I was like, Where's your dad? I just felt like really scared and really and then it kind of went away and, and I was sitting there, I had a cricket bat in my hand at this time. I'm just like, What the hell just happened? Yeah. And I had no idea. A couple of weeks later, the same thing happened. And then it got more and more often to the point where it happened three nights in a row, and it's a horrible feeling. You wake up just completely in a panic. You feel yeah. sick, nauseous, can't breathe. You feel, feel like, like you're going you're to die. Yeah. yeah, and it got to that point where I was like, okay, I need, I need to go see someone, or I'm not going to want to live anymore because the only the only uh, piece that I had was while I was asleep because it would seep into my daily habits. Now mm. I end up seeing a, a Chinese herbalist who gave yeah. me some some herbs that actually helped. They pretty much eradicated those type of panic attacks.
1: So in this country, we call them herbs.
0: Herbs. Why is that?
1: <laughs> we don't pronounce the H. Oh, you don't? Like, wait, so when you see herbal essences, do you call it herbal essences?
0: Herbal essences.
1: Okay.
0: Herbal essences. No, herbal essences, yeah. That's yeah. funny, I didn't know. I know you guys have a lot of weird things that you do, like you don't pronounce a lot of the T's. Like uh, if we said internet, you guys be internet was just like- Internet. internet you know? <laughs> I don't know. You have the R's. We don't have the R's, like after certain sounds. Uh-huh. If I was going to say, uh, if I said door, it's more like the New York door. Door. Yeah. But if you said it, door. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird for me to do a retroflex R. <laughs> All right. Which, anyway, get back to let's it. Let's get back to where I yeah, was. Yeah. Anxiety. Uh, anxiety. So that helped a lot with that. But then later on, it, it, it come in a different form. And I ended up having uh, like a breathing uh, issues where I was like paranoid about my breathing. I'm too tight-chested. I'm breathing too much. I'm You know, I'm hyperventilating. And I, I just, it was like horrible. And I had to deal with that. And it was very hard. It became debilitating in life because I didn't want to leave my, you know, house to go do anything in case oh, wow. I get anxiety. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really had to push through a lot of really horrible times to just try and exist. And it, it, there's nothing worse when you're sitting there in a very safe environment could be like right now where I'm trying to act completely normal, but I'm having a panic attack on the inside. Right. I've had that for auditions. I went to, I had to audition for a role where I'm playing this tough security guard. It's really calm.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm like having a full blown panic attack on the inside. So it just would come out horrible.
1: Yeah. So what's the solution? Well,
0: I think it's very different for everyone. I think that the main point is to never stop what you're doing because most of the anxiety comes from you just imagining that you're going to have anxiety, and it's like more the fear of having it that's the most debilitating part. And if you yes. if you give into that, then you're going to live your life as a prisoner. Right. I think it's important for you to keep pushing and doing what you want to do, regardless. And you kind of realize a lot of the time, well, there was nothing to really be scared about, nothing ever happened. I think meditation can help a lot. I think uh, there's a lot of different things that can happen. You can go see people talk about it, but I think yeah, I think the the really important thing is understanding how. And this is the scariest part, especially for men, because we're so trying to be tough and masculine. And when you have right. something like this, it can feel like your your masculinity is being challenged, and you feel mm-hmm. like a you know weak. And uh, I think it's important for, for men to know this is very common and there's nothing wrong with it. And, right. And letting people know. Like right now I'll, know, I'll let anyone know. Like I, I get anxiety. If you see me act a little weird and stuff like that, don't stress. And when I know people know that I have that, I feel so much more comfortable. Even if I'm getting anxious, I can kind of get up and just be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did do a seminar for 94 people in Sweden the other day and I just thought about it and I was like, man, what if I had anxiety here? And then suddenly I start to feel anxious. I'm like, oh my god, right. don't think about that. And I'm thinking, oh, because right. I don't like, like that's the thing that scares it. me the most. Is like yeah. I don't like being out of control. And even though a yes. podcast it makes me nervous because I'm like, what if I what if I get anxious and I want to leave? I can't because I've got things happening. But I know yeah. that you would understand, so I don't really care so much anyway. No, but, I wouldn't. I but, would
1: be like, no, we're finishing the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stay here. stay there. And <laughs> You're panic. stuck. Yeah. But what I would do is talk through it with you. Yeah. And that helps, right? Yes.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely, and having someone to talk to, but. Allowing people to know that you have that is so much feeling, you know, it feels takes so a much better. Off. And just yeah. understanding that it's not a weak thing; it's got nothing to do with you. It's just a, it's a survival mechanism that we don't really need a lot in this day and age because we're not, you know, living in a tribal area, right? Era that we you the know, fight or flight caught.
1: that we're feeling is like so irrational. Yes, like sometimes we panic over um, an argument with a friend or a coworker, or um, maybe we feel a shift in a potential deal. Uh, coming to fruition or not, you know, and it's mm-hmm. something that we want so bad. Yeah. And so then we start to catastrophize the potential outcomes and we're playing everything out in our minds, like is this gonna happen or this gonna happen? And then it's taking away from our uh our focus from other things and relaxation and and sleep. Yeah. And so, you know, meditation is a good way if you can figure out how to meditate. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think Physical activity helps, like going on walks and and working out regularly tends to reduce anxiety overall. For sure. And, um, you know, talking through it Mm -hmm. and then just kind of like hearing yourself say things aloud, um, I think takes some of the power out of the anxiety.
0: Yeah. Another thing is also some people have this is like trying to relieve yourself from having expectations on things. Because a lot of times you're like, you're stressed and anxious about certain things because you have an expectation of it or you identify as a certain thing. And mm-hmm. uh, this is probably the one thing I've tried to shed the most in my last few years of living is being trying to not have expectations on anything and trying not to identify as anything. And this is why the question when people say like, you know, tell me about you, kid, who are you? And it's like I'm just me. right is the most common, it should be the most a rational answer but obviously people want to put you in a box and understand who you are so you've got to kind of categorize yourself a little bit but I try not to identify as anything anymore I don't feel like I'm a grappler I don't feel like I'm a, a teacher I don't feel like I'm an artist or anything I'm just me doing things different things a well, lot of the time.
1: Isn't it okay to say well right now my focus is this right yeah. now I'm passionate about this and then that way you're not like fully committing to an identity but you're like this is what I'm doing. Yeah I the think moment. that's
0: fine but a lot of people identify as it. Like, I mean, when I first started jiu jitsu, I wanted yeah. to tell people I was a fighter. I know most the MMA guys are going to sit there and go, Jiu Jitsu not fighting. <laughs> all, it's all a form of fighting. MMA is not fighting then because it's, it's different to the street as well. But it doesn't really care. I don't really care. I'm going to do that. a poll. A- I'm going
1: to do a poll on Instagram. Check out my page, The Jenna Ben Show, and I'm going to see what, uh, you know, my following believes to be, you know, fight worthy. Would you say that jujitsu is fighting or not?
0: Yeah, it's a battle of semantics. What do you call fighting? Fighting is like challenging. It's trying to push through something. So I think jujitsu is, it's a challenge. So you're fighting your way to win something.
1: Yeah.
0: Is it more, you know, of, uh, you know, a fight, a street fight than uh, MMA? MMA is much more violent and it's much more real. Yeah. Uh, I'm not questioning that at all. And it's, it's amazing, but uh, it's just a battle of semantics anyway but I can't even remember why I was talking about that.
1: Well, what I want to know is, um, okay, so Higa Machado was on my show recently.
0: My braja.
1: He is the, I just realized that's who you were referring to when I was like, have you checked out the shows? And yeah, like, I'm yeah. I'm going to watch them like, with braja. my brother. Yeah,
0: yeah. Him. I
1: love him. Okay, yeah, 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 he calls me his sister, of course. Yeah, huh. um, so he's the nephew of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu founder Carlos Gracie uh-huh. and um, the owner of the Academy in Beverly Hills. And so- we got a feel for Hegan on the show. Now, how would you say your techniques differ from his?
0: I mean, I wouldn't know. I mean, he's, one, he's well out of his prime. Uh, two, the time he was competing is extremely different to the time now. It's a, it's a, a new era.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, if Hegan was my age right now, I'm sure he would be one of the best as well. But if you took the, you know, their abilities back then compared to now, now is going to win. Mm-hmm. If I took now to the next 20 years, the next 20 years are going to destroy now. So, I And mean, then that's, that's, that's often... Uh, I've I've hung out with Hegan a lot, really love him, awesome guy. Have we done much together? Not at all, mm, okay. so, but I hear great things from him. I know he was one of the best competitors of, of his generation yeah. and a lot of people I know that train with him uh, speak extremely high of him, so no yeah. doubt he's uh, amazing. I don't know how he teaches compared to me, so I, I don't think I could ever comment on that. Right. But I'm sure he knows what he's doing and I think he's great for what he's doing, which is working a lot more with uh high profile athletes and yeah and stuff he's teaching like that. a lot of
1: like the Hollywood stars how to really fight um in the movies so that yeah. we're not seeing these awkward scenes where it's like, wait, that didn't actually happen. How did yeah. you fall over?
0: Yeah, which is it's a very different clientele to most of the people I would work with that want to be, you know, either they just want to learn jujitsu or mm-hmm. they want to be professional uh, fighters. Right. So the and I I hated the other style when I first started, I was like, "No, you should train everyone like they want to be fighters." I don't like these celebrities getting belts when they don't deserve them. They're not right. But it's just, that's such a stupid way of thinking. And I kind of like I grew out of that very quickly because I realized people are learning for different things. And if you're a, a celebrity actor, you do, you can't risk getting hurt. Production right. will lose so much money. You can't risk getting hit in the eye. So you can't be training like a professional.
1: But do you deserve a belt then?
0: I think yeah. Uh, I mean, who, who, uh, you know. It's hard to really say what I'm trying to say. But, but no one should be able to dictate what anyone else should be and what kind of belt.
1: That's not true because a belt uh, implies that you've reached a certain level of accomplishment. And so if Bobby is getting a... Purple belts, mm-hmm. but then Keanu Reeves is also getting a purple belt. I'm gonna expect that Keanu is as advanced, and knowledgeable, and capable as Bobby.
0: Yeah, but you can't measure them because they're very different people, and they're doing it for different reasons. For example, Keanu is in his fifties or sixties. Mm-hmm. Physically, he's not going to be able, capable of doing what the other purple belt can do. That's 21 in his prime physically. So you can't compare them both on their ability to. Uh, to compete or to mm. train, but you might have to measure it on their knowledge of it or their ability to teach. Okay. I don't agree that people should people. Some people like, oh, you're not a black belt if you don't have the right attitude. I mean, who do you think you are? You know, <laughs> <it's> like, shut. <laughs> what does mouth. that
1: mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. Some people are f- so self righteous, and they're, they're, I, I hate that kind of thing. You're you're learning a, an art, and the belt should be a dic- you know an indicator of what level you are either knowledge or skill-wise. I know people that have very little knowledge in martial arts but they're absolute animals and they're beasts and their minds are strong and they can win a lot of fights so they can go up the belts really quickly. Are they going to be the best teachers? Probably not because they don't have much information. But the, the, the problem with the belting system and why it's probably flawed is because it's incomparable, you know, if you look at the individuals it sounds you know.
1: like it's based on either knowledge or skill yeah so who's you can't the, that's not right it should be it should be one
0: yeah so i it think would be that more consistent i if i had it my way it would be more like football and i'd be like there'd be division one two three four and five and mm-hmm. that's it you're either competing in those divisions or not and it doesn't matter what you know if you can't do it you know who cares yeah but that's the way i would like it because it's based on your ability rather than knowledge and stuff like that mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. that Having knowledge is not helpful as, you know, one of the great, some of the greatest teachers weren't very good at uh, fighting and stuff like that but they understand it. They have that, that fighter IQ and stuff like that. Yeah. I know a lot of really good, especially in jiu-jitsu right now, everyone's trying to sell a product because they see other people like myself selling a product and doing really well. So they're like, well, I've won more than Kit Dale so I'm going to sell my product and they, really, they realise it doesn't sell because they're not good coaches because it's not just about mm. being good at something, it's about being able to, convey that information to someone else that allows them to be good. And then to do it in a fun way that's engaging. Right, Like a lot of people are boring. Like, okay, now here we're going yeah. to do this uh, technique. Whose accent are you? I have no idea who okay. that was. Like, I don't know what that, that? was. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so but. I saw that you trained with Arnold Chan recently, who was also a guest. He was actually, so Gabriel Rosada was the first like combat sports guy I had on the show, boxer. That I had Arnold Chan on, striking coach. Yeah. And, you know, he's worked with Tyron Woodley and a few other fighters. And Arnold introduced me to Antonio McKee, who came on the show with AJ. And then, you know, there was like a whole plethora of fighters that, that um, Antonio sent me. And then I just kind of took off with UFC right. and Bellator. Yeah. Okay. So, but Arnold and I, we've known each other for a few years. Mm-hmm. And I saw, and you told me that you had recently trained with him. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that for?
0: Uh, we were working on a Demi Lovato uh, music video, mm-hmm. so Arnold uh, is amazing with his like his martial arts and his yeah. choreography and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I help him with the jiu-jitsu portion of it. So oh, nice, okay. So we kind of work together with that. So I caught up with him. I gave him my input on some throws and and some jiu-jitsu to add to his or like fight scenes. We work really well together because. His stand-up stuff is incredible, mm-hmm. and my jiu-jitsu stuff is going to complement that, so awesome. it works very well together. So, and we do some training. Like he, he helped me work on my striking as well, which is great. Yeah. Um. But now he's a good friend. We've all, you know, anytime he's in. I know he's living in Atlanta now, but when he's back and stuff, we try mm. and catch up. And I didn't uh, know he moved. Yeah, he's moving in Atlanta now because they're filming a lot more stuff in Atlanta.
1: For his, um, he has uh, the Interface series. Yeah. He has a TV show. Yeah. Did that? Do you know if that got picked up yet?
0: Not yet. I know okay. they're in post-production. They're still doing stuff for it. Awesome. Um, but he's working on four other shows right now. So that's what he said. So he's flat He's such a out. rock star. Yeah, yeah. He's a killer. He's a, yeah, he's I a, he's should reach
1: out. What's up, Arnold? Shout out. Yeah, what's up? Okay. So, you know, on the Jenna Ben Show, I like to talk about my guest' professional careers. And we kind of bounced around a little bit. But I want to know quickly, what's your biggest accomplishment? Probably
0: being the lead in Iron Sky was uh, one of my biggest accomplishments. And... It is an accomplishment and it is an accomplishment because a lot of acting is luck, being in the right place, the right person right. seeing you. But you have to do the work to to do your best on that, yes. on that job. Now I was very lucky to get selected for that. That was a $32 million production wow. and uh, it was my first feature, like my first big role as a feature and I'm one of the leads on it. So that was uh, amazing. But what I'm really proud of myself with is I had to do an American accent I had to get into shape. I got photos of when I started compared to what I had to be in, and they wanted me to get as muscular and as ripped as I could. So I had to put on like twelve pounds of muscle in two months. Learn a new accent, learn the line, read the script, get as good, you know, put myself in as good a position as I could for this film. And back then, acting was still very fresh for me. You know, if I did it now, I'd be in a much better position. But there was a lot of things that I had to learn and do in that in that two months. And I was going to the gym, like. All day I had a, uh, my, ear bug, my ear pods in, whatever they call them, yeah. before my ears were so cauliflowered. And I would uh, I would listen to American accent tapes while I'm working out. So I'd be doing things while I'm working out. I would yeah. work out twice a day, eat really healthy, read the script. Everything I was doing was to try and put myself in his, in a in his good position to do well on that. And we shot that in Belgium over two months. Uh, I was with Tom Green, Udo Kiers in there, a lot of really good actors. It was a lot of fun. It was a great production. It was directed by Timo and uh, he, he's a really big up and coming director, so it was great. It was a, it was a lot of fun. So that's probably my biggest nice. accomplishment.
1: Okay, all right. Um, is this where you thought you'd be at thirty four years old?
0: No, no. I think I mean, depending on when I was. When I was younger, I would just be happy if I could make any kind of money. I remember being a part of a group when I was uh, when I was in grade two or something so I was like seven years old and we called it the computer club and it was because one of our friends had a computer and was the only one that had a computer back then and he printed out a paper with all our names and it said computer club and now for some reason that day I was getting bullied and I got kicked out of that club so I took the paper with me and the teacher grabbed us and said what's going on, what are you guys fighting about and then I showed him that and he read it and he said you know you can make money with this one day and I like it just stayed with me like like an illness and I was thinking I can make money through doing nothing so I think from that moment on, I was always trying to think, how can I make money without doing anything? <laughs> but I think when I was m- most of the time, I was like, can I just get a job that I can do and just make enough money to exist? I'd be happy with. Right. But I, I kept sort of setting a goal higher Pushing. and higher and higher. Yeah. And then once I I met a mentor when I was 24 years old, that really changed the way I the way I looked at the world and the way I thought about myself. And then from then on, I realized I could do whatever I wanted to a certain extent. You know, if I was willing to put in the work. So you know, once I did that, then my goals become a lot bigger. You know, it was
1: Well, here you are making thousands and thousands, um, and basically having your days free to do whatever you feel like doing in the moment. That's yeah, pretty I, cool.
0: I'm uh, extremely grateful for that. Living the
1: life. Okay. Um what's next for you?
0: Uh I'm writing a script at the moment. I'm uh, working on my online gaming. <laughs> so I'm playing online games <laughs> working a Working on my online yeah, gaming. Yeah. I've never
1: heard such bullshit in my life.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm just going to continue doing the same thing. Just basically working on myself and just keep doing the things that I enjoy doing and creating a life that allows me to do that. Uh, you know, I've moved to LA now. I got my work visa three months ago. Uh, I just become SAG um, eligible, which means I can work wow. for the union here, which is great. Yeah. I had to get Taft Hartley twice for that. So I just want to really go through the film side of things a lot more. My brother's got his – he's directing his first film right now. Real
1: quick, you just got a props from our videographer, Rob, when you mentioned SAG. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, hats off. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, My brother's directing his first feature film right now in Bulgaria, and uh, Megan Fox is the lead. So it's great. And uh, yeah, and uh, he's really talented. And I wouldn't say that about anybody. I would tell you, you know, if my brother was crap, I'd say he's really crap. Yeah. He's crap at certain things. But when it comes to film directing and writing, he's really, really good. Is he he your younger brother? Younger. Okay. He's 31 now, I think. Amazing. So he's super. Super happy he's over in Bulgaria working on it at the moment. But I think it's very good him doing that, me doing what I'm doing on my side, and we're going to work together and start building our own things. Yeah. And I think in 10 years you're going to see the Dale Bros films happening, which would be really fun. and I would love that.
1: Give him a shout out.
0: Scott Dale. If you go to SK Dale, I think it is, or SK Films. Anyway, just follow me anyway, and then I'll tell you where he is. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, he's killing it, and his uh, big things are going to come from him, which is great.
1: Okay. I love that. Um, now, part of what we talk about on the show is, you know, there's with any career, there's always going to be a rise and a fall. And, you mm-hmm. know, so it's, it's a roller coaster, essentially. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is your biggest, quote, failure? And I say that in quotes because oftentimes we fail and then that kind of reroutes us. But then that path is kind of what took us to success. So, yeah. you know, what would you say failure is to you?
0: I mean, to be real with you... <laughs> my biggest failure is probably not chasing what I wanted to chase when I first wanted to chase it. I I always knew I wanted to do acting Mm -hmm. but I never thought about doing it and never believed myself to do it as a career until I was 28 years old. So... I know that if I got into it earlier, I would be in a much better position right now. So my biggest failure in life is not going for things when I first wanted to go for them. Mm -hmm. Because it takes so long and then you finally go, okay, I'm going to do it. And then you're just like, why didn't I do this ages ago? So that's honestly my biggest failure. My biggest perceived kind of failures, I mean, is just doing things for the wrong reason there was a lot of times I was like competing to win competitions and I thought this is going to change who I am. I'm going to feel fulfilled Mm. after I win this. And then like i remember in Abu Dhabi when I won the world championship, I was like so happy for like a day or two. And then I was just like, it just drops away. And I'm like, I need to do something else. I need to get that same feeling again. You kind of chase those um, dopamine hits and the approval uh, and respect of other other people and then you try and get the same thing back and, and I, would, I would go from one competition to the next and then realise it's never really going to leave you fulfilled mm. and that was a big reason why I stopped competing professionally because I thought, well, I'm, I'm doing all this damage to my own body and there's injuries that I've done that are going li- to stay with me for the rest of my life and pr- pretty much get worse. Right. So I wish I didn't chase that for the competition as much as I did and I have a better attitude now. If I'm in a submission, I just tap. I don't care who it is. Yeah. If it's before it's even on, I tap because I want to be able to keep, continue to do this. But back in the day, you would have an arm bar and you I'm not gonna tap, I'm yeah. not gonna tap, snap. Okay, now I can't train for four weeks. Wow. And those injuries always come back. So I kind of wish that I didn't chase things for the outcome Right. and more just did it for the journey.
1: Don't fight to the death, like yeah. just be strategic and say, well, what are the odds of, of this play? Yeah. You know, And like, is it feasible for me to get out of this? If not,
0: just, It happens. People say martial arts kills your ego, but then as you get really good, you start building that ego back because you start having expectations on how you should be. Like I go to a gym, I'm like, well, I shouldn't technically get submitted by anyone.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, But then you're rolling with someone and they put you in a bad position. You're like, well, I can't tap because this is embarrassing and people are going to see and then you hurt yourself. Right. Where now I wouldn't wouldn't really care if it was a white belt. Like, nice, cool, let's go again. You know, just just, yeah. just let that go. So I wish I did that earlier.
1: Walk us through some of your accolades.
0: Okay, so, I mean, most of them are very superficial ones. Obviously with the, with the football, I, I did very good with the football. Uh, winning premierships was great. Most people spend their whole life playing Australian rules football and never get a chance to win a premiership. I think I won four. Uh, winning the best and fairest was really good. Uh, the the two times I won the world championships, the one time I won the Brazilian national championships was, was very good feeling, and
1: that was for grappling.
0: Yep, for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh-huh. Um, the the getting a lead on on the film was probably uh, you know actually to be honest, the best feeling I've ever had was going to the the Finland premiere of the movie. i mean, Iron Sky, the Coming Race. Uh-huh. That's now on Netflix. Mm. Uh, I. I remember going there and it was really weird. You kind of felt like a rock star because two, three, two, three thousand people just watched your movie mm-hmm. and you're the lead and they're just like all looking at you and yeah. just and they're all very happy and feel good. Yeah, noticing. and, and that, you were
1: probably like in super good shape so all the ladies are like throwing their panties at you.
0: Yeah, I was like catching them and stuff. <laughs> it was interesting but it's funny because it's like, it's like that time where there's guys with their girlfriend and their girlfriend's looking at you like they want to bang you and the guy's like, I don't care.
1: I, cool. Oh, my God. Bang I, him
0: because he's just on TV. You know?
1: I heard this from Frank Shamrock. Oh, really? Who, like, oh, my God, he's, like, the craziest stories. Women would come up to me. Men would come and, like, serve me their women, their their sisters, their mothers, mm-hmm. like, anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, oh, my God, what yeah. a life.
0: Yeah, they don't care. Yeah, I don't, Like, if I saw – I'm trying to think of someone who I would idol. If I saw Daniel Day-Lewis, doesn't matter who I'm with, I'm, like, take her. She's yours. All right, and I just want to watch Oh my god. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, but I but I s I kinda get that point, you know, we just idolize certain people. I do that with actors. I'm yeah, always super excited when I see, you know, big actors and get to to meet them and stuff like that. So I kinda understand that. But it was a really cool feeling. very superficial. It's yeah. very much what I try to tell people not to get attached to because it always goes away. Yes. But uh, yeah, I felt like I felt like the best I've probably ever felt that moment.
1: How are you feeling on Titan C B D right now?
0: I feel pretty nice and pretty calm, which is good. Um, I I recommend it. I like it. That was you, fun.
1: Do you you feel a difference?
0: Yeah, I actually feel really calm. Yeah, you know, and okay. I don't like to you know to say, oh yeah, I feel a million different. You know, I don't want to lie about it, but yeah, I know I I only if quite, you really feel it. Yeah, quite really re- like quite nice and relaxed.
1: I have to take a like a, a reduced dose because I I can't like I'll get too calm and then I'll just sit back in the chair and I'll oh, be really? like, so just talk to mm, me, yeah, Kit. Just, just tell me, <laughs> just just tell tell me your you feelings. What do you feel? Yeah, um, okay. That. So guys go to titancbd.com, T I T A N C B T I T A N Uh, the website is officially launched and it's good stuff. I mean, I, I've done like a whole bunch of kind of mini case studies with the guests on the show before it was officially launched. And I think, um, I've had one person, I have a big John. I gave him kind of a, like a, a little bit smaller dose than I gave you. And he didn't feel a difference. Uh-huh. But other than that, every single person, probably like 20 people at this point have been like, yes, give me some, I love it. Um, we're going to come out with a promo code soon, so you'll be able to get a discount with my name. Um, but for now, just check out titancbd.com. It's really reasonably priced. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, shout out to my peeps. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Kit, share with us your Instagram and how people can get a hold of you.
0: Uh, you can find me on Instagram at kitdaleofficial.com. Oh, no, not .com, geez. kitdaleofficial. Official. Uh-huh. On Facebook, I have a page and a profile, Kitdale. Dale. Uh, on... Online, it's uh, kitdaletraining.com. And uh, I think that's all I've got really, YouTube, Kitdale.
1: All right, guys, you can find me at the Jenna Ben Show on Instagram and on YouTube. Um, you'll notice a lot of these shows are airing on Dash first and then about a week later, you'll find them on YouTube with video. So I appreciate you all. Um, you can find the Jenna Ben Show five times a week on Dash Radio. First air is Tuesdays at 8 p.m., all Pacific Standard Times. Thursdays at 9 a.m., Fridays at 9 p.m., Saturdays at 5 p.m., and Sundays at 7 p.m. Again, all Pacific Standard Times. Thank you so much for the love. I love the DMs on Instagram. Follow me and subscribe on YouTube, and I will see you next week.